Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Um, after I'll be reading the Bible from Matthew 20, 29 to 34. When I'm done, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I will employ everyone to say, thanks be to God. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. All the world and its troubles he has overcome. Isn't that such a good news? Good morning, friends. Welcome again to church. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, my name is Emmanuel, and this is my coat of many colors. <laughs> of, of my, my coat of many shades of color. Um, but we're happy to have you. We have been going through a series called Conversations with Jesus, where we've been looking at certain conversations Jesus had with people in the Bible and just seeing how he interacted with them to learn more about him and also about ourselves. And so if you have missed any of the um, sermons in the series, I would encourage you to please check out our podcast, Theology in Lagos. No. The Gospel in Lagos. This is what happens when you... Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But the gospel in Lagos, um, and feel free to listen, to share. And even if you are watching online now, you can send the link to someone to invite them to join. Um, before we go ahead, I think congratulations are in order for all the WizKid fans in the house. Um, news broke this week that WizKid received two Grammy nominations um, for Global Music Album of the Year for 2022 and Global Music Performance for his song with Thames. Um, and you know, this is one where even if you are not a WizKid fan, even if you hate WizKid from, you know, from A to Z, this is one for the team. Like, this is, we're all Nigerians, you know. Like, this is, we're happy when we're all recognized. But the thing actually is, it's good to see how our entertainment industry has been getting the, the props, the recognition that they actually deserve. Our music has become so much better. The production has become really good. Um, collaborations from East... West, you know, and with us here, and there's just been a lot of recognition around the world. And the good thing about art, or good art, is that it, it puts new words to feelings that we've all felt. Or it gives us language for things that we've never actually been able to express. And so there are a couple of them that have, you know, um, come, come into our everyday language, besser, you know, things like that. But there's one that we often use. It's called... Moya, look away. 
Moyalukewe. What does Moyalukewe mean? It comes from a song which artist I shall not name, um, so that you won't go and check out the song or watch the music video because I don't want you to hold me responsible. But the concept of Moyalukewe is, a, is Yoruba in English, but it basically describes that feeling you have when you look at something and then you just take your eyes away. It's saying, I intentionally looked away from something that was making me uncomfortable. And it's that thing where you can't shame the shameless. You can't shame the shameless. I, I, I feel this Moyalukewe feeling when I go out to eat with my boss, Pastor Femi. <laughs> and we go to, um, you know, all these really fancy restaurants. And then you, you, they give you the menu and you see stuff like Boison de Chauvet. <laughs> what is Boison de Chauvet? What is that? As for me, I, I cannot be shamed. I will not be shamed. So I look for things I'm familiar with. Jollof rice, white rice, no matter where it is in the world. I've even had burger in one of them. You know, and every time it's like, why, why will you come here and be eating jollof rice that you can eat at home? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I shall not be shamed. I shall not be shamed because I recognize there's an inadequacy in me about this thing. I don't quite know what Boison de Chauvet is. You know, um, I'm familiar with jollof rice, so I would rather eat that. We look away because there's an inadequacy in us. But then for some of us, it's, you know, you, you ask someone for something, and the person didn't answer you. And you go, I shall do my own. And so the person comes back to you, and the person then presents a request to you. And you say, you, you that I asked you for that thing, that time you didn't answer me. No, I won't do it. Why? There is a hesitation in you that the person does not deserve this. We look away from people because there's an inadequacy in us or because there's a hesitation in us. And we see in this passage this morning that Jesus doesn't look away from us regardless of what we are going through because there is no inadequacy in him and there is no hesitation in him. Sometimes we feel like, man, this thing that I'm going through is a lot. This thing that I'm experiencing is really powerful. Or I don't quite know exactly how Jesus will respond to this, but we see here this morning in our passage that Jesus cannot look away because there is no inadequacy in him and there is no hesitation in him. And so the sermon is titled, Jesus Cannot Look Away. And we look at these two things very quickly. There is no inadequacy in Jesus and there is no hesitation in Jesus. But before we do that, let us bow down our heads and ask the Lord's help. Lord, our prayer this morning is from Psalm 131. We, Lord, our heart is not proud. Lord, our eyes are not haughty. We have not concerned ourselves, Lord, with great matters, with things too wonderful for us. But Lord, we have calmed and quieted ourselves. Lord, we are like wind children with their mother. We are like a wind child that is content. We are content with you. So, Lord, we put our trust in you this moment. Lord, we ask that you please speak to us. We ask that you transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. I have not started my timer, so you cannot hold me if I preach too long. But there is no inadequacy in Jesus. That's the first thing. The passage begins on this very interesting note. Jesus is leaving Jericho, verse 29. He's leaving with his disciples. And he's not flying. He's actually walking. And you know, we can read past that and we're like, oh, he's walking. Okay, what's next? But actually, let's take a moment and pause. He's walking from one destination to another. And friends, we see here a Jesus who 
does not hop around even though he's the son of God. Jesus does not fly around even though he could. Jesus walks. And some of us, I don't know what idea of Jesus you have. But we see here that what we think about Jesus, what we know about Jesus ultimately affects how we relate with Jesus. Because we see in the Bible that even though Jesus is the son of God, Jesus is very much human like us. Jesus sweats. Jesus gets tired. Jesus gets thirsty. Jesus gets angry. Jesus feels the very things we feel. And I don't know where you are at this morning, but can I suggest to you, friends, that Jesus is very much in your situation with you. And this is what we find here, that Jesus walks. He's leaving one destination to go to another. But that's a rather odd place to start. And so what, what has been happening is that in the previous verses, Jesus had just had this teaching moment with his disciples. One of them, a very good, I guess she must be a Nigerian woman. She must have been thinking, eh, this Jesus guy, he's the son of God. Let me quickly secure my place, my children's place with Jesus. Because I'm not going to be alive forever. But Jesus is going to be alive forever. So let me quickly push my children to Jesus. And so her name is Mrs. Zebedee. She meets Jesus and she has a request to Jesus. And she says, please let my children be with you when you reign in eternity. One on the right hand and one on the left hand. And Jesus takes that moment to talk about how power is to be used. But then he begins from there to travel to another place. And as Jesus is going, we're told in verse 29 that he encounters two blind men. But you see, this same story is told in other passages of the Bible in Mark chapter 10 and and, and Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, we are told that there is a blind man who is sitting by the roadside begging. So these people were blind and they were beggars. Now, some of you might be saying, eh, but I thought we were talking about two blind men. This one you are quoting to us talks about one blind man who is begging. Like, yes, this is why I don't like Christianity. You people are very inconsistent. The Bible is full of so many inaccuracies. Well, let me give you this illustration. Suppose I was going to Dami's house in the morning. I had an appointment with Dami and I was meant to go there with my wife. But then as we're leaving the house, I quickly send a text to Dami and say, Dami, Pelumi and I are on the way, but we'll be five minutes late because I want to stop at spa to get a gift for a friend whose birthday party is this evening. Please, I'm sorry. Five minutes. So as we stop at spa, I purchase the gift, and then I head to Dami's house. And I say, thank you very much, Dami. We stopped on the way. 9 a.m. 6 p.m. is the party. So I go to my friend's house and I give the friend this gift. I'm like, wow, Emmanuel, thank you so much. Where did you get this from? I say, ah, man, it was really difficult. I was heading out this morning. I had an appointment with Dami. And I quickly had to stop at spa to get the gift for you. And this is how I got it. I said, no, bro, but Emmanuel, you told Dami in the morning that it was you and Palumi. Now you are saying you are the one that stopped to buy the gift. You are lying. Would I have been lying? Would I have been lying? No. I've just presented the same facts in two very different ways to two very different sets of people. And that's what we find in the Bible sometimes. You know, there's a lot of noise about, oh, the Bible is full of inaccuracies. The Bible is full of things that, you know, they just contradict one another. But the truth is, friends, first of all, many of these so-called inaccuracies are not really touching on any of the important doctrines of the Bible. None of them touch on Jesus' 
you know, um, divinity. None of them touch on the Trinity. None of them touch on salvation. That's the first thing. But secondly is that when you have a faith that is more than 2,000 years old, it means that people have been thinking about these so-called inaccuracies for a long time. What am I saying? You can put your trust in the Bible as the word of God. Maybe some of you are here, you are not a Christian, you are like, men, this is why I don't like the Bible. No, I would encourage you to please be patient and to ask people questions. What about this? What about that? That's one. But maybe some of you are, you are, you are a Christian, you are like, I don't quite understand what's going on here. You can put your confidence in the word of God. Amen. So these are not two different accounts. This is one account presented in two ways. So we see two blind men who are also beggars. Now, we're not living in 2055 when there's no longer any begging in the world. We're living in a, lot, in a society where there's a lot of begging, where there's a lot of brokenness, where there's a lot of poverty. So you know that when somebody is blind and is a beggar, they are doubly unfortunate. I grew up in a town, in a Muslim town, where we had a beggar who was not really a beggar. He would stand, he, would, he, would, he was crippled, so he would stay on his wheelchair and he wouldn't beg, he wasn't holding anything. People would pack their cars and they would go and give him money, hand over money to him because this is not just any beggar, this is an executive beggar. You don't treat him anyhow. But these are not the kind of people we have here. We have people here that are sitting at the roadside and those days there were no tad roads, there was a lot of dust. They couldn't walk around. They just were stationed in a place. Nobody cared about them. Nobody treated them with concern. Nobody even saw them. But then these men are sitting down here. And as the crowd is coming, they can't see, but they can hear. There's a lot of commotion. They are wondering, is this a riot? Is government task force coming? Is something going on? What is happening? And then someone tells them, oh, there is this itinerant Jewish rabbi, Jesus, who is walking around. Who did you say? Jesus. And so they hear Jesus, and then they start shouting, verse 29 and 30, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. But then we are told that the crowd tells them, no, 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 no. Don't disturb him. They rebuke them, but they shout all the louder, and they say, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And friends, here in this passage, already we see three ways of approaching God. Three ways of approaching Jesus. First, on the basis of familiarity. And that's what we see with the woman I talked about, Mrs. Zebedee and her two sons. In verse 21, we are told that she makes a request to Jesus. She says in verse 21, can you please put it up? Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. So she's trying to secure their place. But then we're told in verse 24 that the other disciples hear this and they are mad. They are indignant. They are angry. But they aren't angry because what she did was wrong. They are angry because she took their slot. They're angry because, uh, uh, is it just James and John that have been working with Jesus? All of us have been working with Jesus. All of us have been familiar with Jesus. If anybody deserves to get a slot with Jesus, at least do dice. Let us roll dice. Don't go and steal our slots before us. And some of us, sometimes, friends, we fall into this trap, this category, where we feel that I have been rolling with Jesus, so I deserve certain things from Jesus. We feel that Jesus owes us. Jesus deserves to give us some good things. And so when life doesn't go, will go well for us, we're angry with Jesus. When things aren't working out on our timeline with Jesus, Lord, I thought I sold that seed. Lord, I thought I served in five units. I thought I deserved better than this. 
Come on, God, do this thing for me. You see, when we approach Jesus on the basis of familiarity, we are saying there is something in us that deserves Jesus' attention. But you see, the second way we see in this passage that we can approach Jesus is on the basis of affinity. On the basis of affinity, and that's what we see with the crowd. In verse 29, we are told that there is a large crowd that is walking with Jesus. So obviously, these people knew something about Jesus. Or maybe it was just that they were traveling that morning and they met Jesus on the road and he's gisting with his disciples. He's teaching them stuff and like, wow, this, this man is so wise. I just love him. He's just such a repository of wisdom. You know, he start using big grammar. I love the principles of the Bible. But you see, what that passage actually shows us is that you can be following Jesus and yet not know Jesus. Because there are two people, these blind men, who are trying to come to Jesus. And what do the crowd do? The crowd starts shouting, shh, don't disturb Jesus. Leave Jesus. And maybe some of us are like that. The only good thing we like about Jesus is the principles that he has for us to, to, to follow. The things we love about Jesus is that Jesus is just somebody that has good wisdom for us. Or maybe some of you, you are even an older Christian and you've worked with Jesus for a long time. And so you see somebody who is like this blind man shouting and crying out to Jesus, who is on fire for God. And you're you saying, no, 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 no. This Christian faith is not that hard. Why are you stressing yourself? Calm down, cool down. You rebuke other people. You see, when we approach Jesus on the basis of affinity and what we like about him, we are saying there is something in Jesus that deserves our attention. With familiarity, we say there is something in us that deserves Jesus' attention. With affinity, we say there is something in Jesus that deserves our attention. But there's a last way we see in this passage, and that's with the two blind men. We can approach Jesus on the basis of mercy. On the basis of mercy. So we see these men, when they hear that Jesus is coming, they shout, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Because they know that for mercy to be received, mercy must be given. It cannot be compelled. For mercy to be received, mercy must be given. It cannot be compelled. And sometimes, friends, when we come to Jesus, when we want stuff from Jesus, when we approach Jesus, we're saying, God, I've done this. God, I've done that. God, this is who I am. This is even what I like about you. This is what I've said to other people about you. Whereas when we come to Jesus, we must say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. There is nothing in me that commends, that earns your grace. Dami was just talking about that a few minutes ago. But see what they said about Jesus. They say, Lord, son of David. They, in short, they are saying, this Jesus is something that I'm not. This Jesus is king and I'm not. This Jesus is ruler and I'm not. This Jesus is boss and I'm not. Lord, son of David. Lord, son of David. How is Jesus to you? I said at the beginning that Jesus is one who walks along the path of life with us. Jesus is one who experiences our sorrows with us. Jesus is one, as we see in the Bible, who is very much in touch with our feelings and the difficulties that we are going through. But the truth is that for us, sometimes we have swung from that other extreme where some people feel Jesus is not relatable to the extreme where it's like, Jesus is just the next guy by my side. And we don't see Jesus as the king that he is. These people are saying, Jesus is ruler and I'm not. 
And this is particularly important for those of us who are living in 21st century Lagos, where there is a lot of desire for us to control our lives, for us to rule our lives, for us to be the king in our own stories. These men know that if they must receive sight, Jesus must be king and not them. But you see, they say, have mercy. Have mercy. It's not because of what we have, because we don't deserve it. It's not because of where we are, because our location does not commend us to you. Just have mercy. Just have mercy. Familiarity says there is something in us that deserves Jesus' attention. Affinity says there is something in Jesus that deserves our attention. But the truth, friends, is that there is nothing in us that deserves Jesus' attention, but there is everything in Jesus that demands our worship. Jesus is not looking for attention givers. He's looking for worshipers. And when these men fall on their face and they are crying out and calling out Jesus, they are worshiping Jesus, they are seeing Jesus as who he truly is, as the one who is without inadequacies, as the one who is not limited by the things that they are going through, as the one who is not constrained by the circumstances where they are, where they find themselves, they recognize that Jesus is the one without any inadequacies. Friends, Jesus cannot look away because there is no inadequacy in him. There is no inadequacy in Jesus. How are you relating with Jesus this morning? But the second thing we see here is there is no hesitation in Jesus. There is no inadequacy in Jesus, but there is no hesitation in Jesus. Verse 32 has to be one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It begins when Jesus heard their cry, verse 32, we're told Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and called them. Last week, Tommy showed us that Jesus can be interrupted. Jesus can be stopped in his tracks. And we see the same thing here. Jesus is heading somewhere else. Jesus is going to another location. Jesus has something on his mind. And yet, when these people call out to him as the king of kings, he doesn't say, no, you guys come and meet me here. You guys come and let's set an appointment for a later time. Jesus stops and calls them. And can I suggest to you, friends, that when you cast yourself at the feet of his mercy, Jesus is not going to give you an appointment for a later time. Jesus is not going to come and ask you to see him in his office on a day that doesn't work for him. Jesus is ready to meet with you even now. Amen. Jesus stopped and talked to them. But it's not just because of where he was headed. It's also the people around him. We're told that a large crowd was following him, and so it meant that his attention was being demanded in that place. I don't know if you've had any large family events recently or at all in your life, and you had to invite your friends. This, happens, this has happened to me before. You have a large family event, particularly if you are the last born, and then you have your friends, and everybody in the family, that's the day that uncle knows that he forgot something in the hotel where they lodge. So now you're at the event, but no, you have to go back and go and get that thing. But this friend that I invited, you guys can't even gist. You don't have any time. That is exactly what was going on here. A lot of people were around Jesus, pressuring him. They were demanding a lot of things from him. And yet, Jesus puts all of that aside, and Jesus attends to these two. Can I suggest to you, friends, that Jesus is not deterred by the pressures around. Jesus is not deterred by what other people are saying. Jesus is not deterred by the demands of the crowd. Jesus is one who wants to talk us where we are. Amen. 
And Jesus stops and attends to these men. But it's not just that he stopped. In that same verse 32, he tells them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And Jesus is not trying to be captain obvious here because like these men are lying, they are there on the road. And like, what do you want me to do for you? Or do you want anything? He's not just trying to be polite. Have you walked into a restaurant before and you sit down and the waiter comes and says, please sir, how, how, how may we serve you today? He's saying that there is something in you that has purchased my attention for this moment. There is something in you because of what you've paid or what you're about to do that will make me listen to you. But actually with Jesus, it's the other way around. Jesus comes as a servant listening to these two men saying, what do you want me to do for you? But yet they haven't purchased his attention. They haven't paid him some money to demand his attention. Rather, Jesus is saying, no, you guys don't have anything. You guys don't have anything to call my attention, but yet I'm going to pay attention to you anyway. Friends, your very disqualification is what qualifies you to receive God's grace. And maybe some of you are here you're like, man, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I messed up. I'm broken. You're like these two blind men. You're at the junction of life where nobody wants to pay attention to you. Or maybe everybody has given up hope on you. Nobody's listening to you anymore. But the good news is Jesus has come this morning asking, what do you want me to do for you? And verse 33, these men are not thinking about it. These men are not asking for money. These men are not asking for help. No, they just say very clearly, we want to receive our sight. We want to receive our sight. And as some of us are here this morning, I don't know, are you following Jesus with expectation? Because these men, when they cried out to Jesus, there was no hesitation on their part. There was no, there was no lack of expectation on their part. They weren't thinking about it. These men were very clear. We want something from Jesus. And maybe some of us here have been so battered, so bruised by life and our own choices, bad choices, that we just want to sort of attach ourselves to Jesus. We just want to, Jesus, anything for the boys. Jesus, I'll take whatever you give me. But no, these people are very clear. Jesus, we, we want our sight. We want something from you. And someone said it very clearly. He says that the way you honor a spring of water, a large source of water, is not by going there and gulping with your mouth. No, you go there with a tank and you say, you have all the water that I need for my life. I'm taking it. I'm coming back every day. And if we must receive from Jesus in that same way, we don't just follow Jesus anyhow. We don't just say, Jesus, anything for the boys. But we go to Jesus face on our, on our faces and we say, Jesus, you have everything that I need. Jesus, there is no lack of expectation in me because I know there is no inadequacy in you. I'm falling on my face and asking that you reach out to me. But maybe for some of us, it's not a lack of expectation. It's a feeling of hesitation. Because you are wondering, um, what if Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with me? What if Jesus is so holy and so righteous that he doesn't, I don't know how he's going to respond. Verse 34 tells us that Jesus is moved with compassion and he reaches out to them. And when he tells us that Jesus is moved with compassion, he's not saying that, oh, Jesus is just, 
you know, very kind and compassionate. No, no. He's saying that from the very depth of his being, from deep inside of him, Jesus is moved to attend to these people. It's the kind of feeling if you've traveled on the roads in Lagos, oftentimes you come across road accidents where you see somebody's body parts, a, 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 an arm there, and you see another leg there, and you see blood on the road, and you're moved deep within your being. That is exactly what Jesus is having here towards this man. He's having a sense of compassion. Why? Because mercy is not a quality Jesus has. Mercy is who Jesus is. And these men fall on their face and they're asking Jesus with expectation. And Jesus knows this very much. And Jesus is saying, yes, yes, I'm coming to you. I don't have any hesitation on my part. I'm going to reach out to you. I like the way someone puts it. A Christian writer named Dave Otland in a book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, the reason Jesus is in close solidarity with us is that the difficult path we are on is not unique to us. He has journeyed on it himself. It is not only that Jesus can relieve us from our troubles like a doctor prescribing medicine. It is also that before any relief comes, he is with us in our troubles like a doctor who has endured the same disease. Jesus is with us in our troubles. Jesus feels in our, for our troubles because he himself knows what it is to be troubled by our troubles. Maybe some of you can relate with this here. At the risk of being Captain Obvious, my wife is pregnant. <laughs> and we have a few more weeks left to go. And this is our second pregnancy. It's, it was harder than the first one. And so we've, I've said to her, even if she doesn't agree, Ebenezer, thus far, the Lord has helped us. <laughs> this, is, this is it. This is, this is the end. But the... The interesting thing is that for the first pregnancy, we had a very good consultant ONG doctor, obstetrics and gynecology. He was very good. We'd often go to see him together. He always attended to how we care and concern. But he was male. But now we're in a different hospital. Also a very good consultant ONG doctor who is also attending to us. But she's female. I don't need to ask my wife which one is better. I know this one is better. Why? Because she's female. It's not a question about expertise because both of them are good consultant O&G doctors. It's not a question about care and concern because both of them showed care and concern. But there's just something different about this O&G doctor because she's female, because she has been pregnant before. And so when she touches my wife, she's not touching her in a theoretical approach. This is what we are supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to touch. No, no. She's touching because she knows that this is the exact same place that I felt this thing before. When she asks her certain questions, she's asking those questions not because this is what I was taught in medical school, but because I know this is the very same thing that I experienced before. Why? Because she has gone through that same thing. Friends, in the person of Jesus, we have one who shows us mercy, not because he is trying to be merciful to us, not because he is trying to be good and gracious to us, but because this is who he is. He has been troubled by our troubles, and so he knows where our troubles trouble us. Jesus is merciful. And there is no hesitation on his part. But as I'm saying this, some of you are like, 
Okay, okay, nice, nice, nice. But Emmanuel, you actually don't understand. You don't understand how much of a bad person I am. You don't understand how much of the bad things that have been done to me. You don't understand how many times I've walked down the aisle and made the decision for Jesus. Or I've said I will never do this thing again. I will never sleep with this person. I will never send this text message. I will never respond in this same way. But I keep blowing it all the time. How can Jesus understand that? You're right. How can Jesus understand that? Because Jesus never sinned in the ways we have sinned. Jesus was never blind. So how, how did he understand it? I like the way someone put it. It is those who don't buckle under the weight of a load that actually knows how heavy that load is. When you go to the gym, like I used to do, I'm a constant, I will go to the gym and keep failing every time. <laughs> Some of you, he's laughing because he knows my story. But the person who actually knows how heavy a 50 kg dumbbell is, is the person who always carries it. He knows what it is. He's seen the impact on his body. He's seen how his arms, his biceps have protruded because of that thing he was always carrying. Me, I go there and say, ah, I can't touch this thing. But this person knows that this thing is very heavy because the result, the result is on his body. It is the same thing with Jesus. Jesus knows how sinful sin is. Jesus knows how broken brokenness is, even though he never went through it because he didn't buckle under the weight of it. So I like what this same writer says. He says, one is that Jesus' sinlessness means that he knows temptation better than we ourselves do. C.S. Lewis, a Christian writer, made this point by speaking of a man walking against the wind. Once the wind of temptation gets strong enough, the man lies down, giving in and thus not knowing what it could have been ten minutes later. Jesus never laid down. Jesus never laid down. Jesus never laid down. He endured all our temptations and sufferings without ever giving in. He therefore knows the strength of temptation better than any of us. Only he truly knows the cost. Jesus never laid down. And so he knows the weight of temptation. Only he truly knows the cost. And we see this in the passage that when Jesus heals this man in verse 34, when Jesus touches their eyes and he gives them sight, the pastor gives us a hint. He doesn't, he doesn't use the word eyes that could have been used there. He uses a word that means eyes of the soul. It is as though Jesus is saying that our physical brokenness is the result of our internal brokenness. Our physical messed upness is the result of our internal and spiritual messed upness. The, the, the treatment for all the things we experience on the outside must first happen on the inside. And so Jesus knows that actually the real cure for blindness is not just healing the eyes on the outside, it is healing the eyes on the inside. It is healing the eyes spiritually. Remember I said in verse 29 that Jesus is leaving Jericho. But actually, you don't just leave a place aimlessly. In verse 17, we are told that he's leaving Jericho to go to Jerusalem. And what is he going to do at Jerusalem? You might be asking. Verses 17 to 19 say he's leaving Jericho to go to Jerusalem to lay down his life for us. 
And you might be wondering, um, yes, but still he wasn't blind. Are you right? Still he wasn't blind. But actually, Matthew chapter 27, verses 45, 46, and 58, as Jesus is hanging on that cross, one of the things that happens to him is that there is a lot of darkness around. And it's as though we are intending to read this passage in light of what Jesus expresses on the cross, that even though Jesus was not blind physically, there was blindness all around as Jesus died. There was darkness all around as Jesus died. And Jesus paid the ultimate price to make people like you and I who can see with our eyes but yet are blind so that we can see with our physical eyes but also see with our spiritual eyes. There was no hesitation on Jesus' part. He wasn't going to the cross wondering, should I, should I not, should I, should I not? I don't like being lucky. Let me die for Francis. No, Jesus was going to die for each and every one of us regardless of our qualifications. Regardless of our merits, regardless of what we did to deserve it. And so he's hanging there and we are told that he cries out to his father, into your hands I commit my, my spirit. But the good news, friends, is that this is not just a tale of what he did 2,000 years ago. This is a tale of what he does even now. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, we are told that this very same Jesus rose from the dead and went into the throne room of heaven and now he's seated as a high priest and we are told that we should run boldly before the throne of grace to obtain what grace and mercy grace and mercy grace to help us in our inadequacies mercy to help us in the places where we don't deserve it in our time of need can i suggest to you friends there is no inadequacy on jesus part there is no hesitation on jesus part and so jesus cannot look away Regardless of what you're experiencing now, Jesus cannot look away. You may say, oh, I'm broken and torn, but yes, his mercy is more. You may say, yes, I've messed up, I've blown it, I'm a sexual sinner, but yes, his mercy is more. You may say, oh, you know pornography, this is pornography, me, that I'm talking to you, I'm pornography, but yes, his mercy is more. You may say, oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a good husband, I'm broken, I don't know how to relate with people, but yes, his mercy is more. No matter how much your brokenness is, friends, Jesus' mercy is more. Jesus cannot look away. Jesus cannot look away. Jesus cannot look away because he's a merciful high priest. Let us stand to our feet as we sing to this merciful high priest. We're going to sing a song that says his mercy is more. Regardless of what we have done, his mercy is more. Some of us are broken here, but yes, his mercy is more. Some of us have lost our road, but yes, his mercy is more. Some of us are sitting down like this blind man at the junction of life, but yes, his mercy is more even in that place. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.